Welcome back to another episode of Working Class Fishing. I am John Morris. This is Brian Keachley to my right or left, depending on how you're viewing. And our guest today is Zach Jenkins from the 12 Hike Challenge podcast. Well, 12 Hike podcast, 12 Hike Challenge on Instagram. Zach, thank you so much for being here today, dude. Hey, thanks for inviting me, guys. I really appreciate it. Hey, anytime, man. Um, Zach, you you're very open with us and you had us come on your podcast here recently. And I just, I just want to say again, thank you so much for that. And really thank you for taking time out of your day. I know you're on vacation you're kind of relaxing and you took time out of your day to come hang out with us. So thanks, man. I appreciate that. Hey, listen, I, like you said, I'm on vacation. My mom and dad have my kids. It's the first time in two years where I haven't been directly responsible for children. So I don't give a crap what I do as long as I'm not watching kids for a little bit. <laughs> nice. Well, the, so Zach, oh, go ahead. <laughs> told you, told you. <laughs> Boom. Uh, so weather looks beautiful there, uh, and and you're you're on vacation in, in your home state of Ohio. Obviously, uh, for for the listeners out there, uh, Zach uh, actually moved from Ohio to Colorado, and and we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll let you talk about that. Uh, yeah. but, but you're in Ohio right now on vacation. You got, you, you got rid of the kids and everything else. And, uh, um, what's it like being back home for, for the time being hot and sticky. Uh, <laughs> the humidity is unreal. It's 99% all the time. So we've just been sitting here talking. I am, I'm dying, sweating. I feel like I'm rendering all my fat off my body. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I mean, the, the weather's it is what it is. I grew up with it, you know, uh, born and raised in southern Ohio, right along the Ohio River Valley. Um, so we're just used to the humidity, it happens now. Being in Colorado for a couple of years, that nice dry heat where it just bakes and shrivels you like a raisin that's a little bit different, and uh, it's been a little bit of a challenge coming back to this, but. What I, what I really missed more than anything was all this green. I mean, you can see behind me, it, mm-hmm. it looks like a rainforest back there. And uh, that's something I kind of took for granted while I was here. But I've been back and got to see all my friends and family. Uh, it's been good. It's the first time in a couple of years, so it feels really nice. That's awesome, dude. That, that dry heat's no joke. I lived in Arizona for a little bit. And that was the worst place I ever lived in my whole life. <laughs> it's, it is so hot. And then you come back to a place, uh, I grew up in Tennessee, so first place I visited after Arizona was Tennessee, and it was like breathing peanut butter, brother. I'm telling you, you can't, you can't breathe, it's just, it's hot, it's a different kind of heat. <laughs> so I feel you, dude. Well, what's funny is I was walking through my mom's grass the other day, and it was like 11 o'clock, like right now. Right now, it's still wet the dew is over everything i was walking through there my shoes got soaked i was like what in the hell is this in my my yard's crunchy at six o'clock in the morning in colorado so just the sheer amount of water just is unreal yeah i've always found that uh interesting whenever i've went back to the midwest even uh, like in the northern central midwest like minnesota wisconsin you're, you're like, oh, I'm going to get up and, you know, go out and check out the yard. And you go out and you're like, oh, man, what what is going on here? You know, because it's like 85, 90 percent humidity is, you know, 
78 or 80 degrees out and you walk out in the grass and your and your shoes get wet and it's like you just stepped into like a shower stall and started kicking the standing water around i'm like that what is up with this place why do people live here you know i mean <laughs> that's the whole thing like 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 you said here in the west you know colorado and in the west you know basically you get west of the rockies and it gets very arid and uh yeah you, you get the crunchy grass syndrome you know where you go out there and you like step on the grass barefoot and you're like ah geez you know that blade of grass stabbed me in the foot you know <laughs> it's not i'm shameless because my grass does not get watered it looks like the sahara desert in my yard so all my neighbors have their sprinklers <laughs> running they've got nice green grass and you get to my piece of crap house and it's just got this big brown patch of dirt. I'm sure they hate me, but Brian can get over it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah. Uh, you ever look at doing like your, your natural, uh, like hardscape landscaping on the front or. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Uh, just we just have it. trees cut down. Yeah. Bulldoze it. Yeah. Bulldoze uh, it and throw say, rocks out. I'd say we'll probably end up putting grass back. Uh, at least in the front yard, the backyard, we've, listen, even though we bought this house a couple years ago, we've got so much work to do just where it's been, we hit the ground running, you know, when we moved. So uh, I guess I'll, we'll talk about the move a little bit while mm -hmm. we're on this. Um, one day we were having a yard sale and just for fun, I told my wife, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write on the garage door with chalk that the house is for sale. She goes, that's stupid. Why are you going to do that? And I don't know. I'm just having fun. It'll be fun conversation piece, you know, get people talking. So I did it. And my neighbor at the time walks over and he goes, are you guys really going to sell your house? And I said, well, I don't know. If someone wants to look at it, I wouldn't say no. And he said, well, hang on. I got someone that you want to talk to. So the first people that came and looked at our house that day, within maybe two or three hours, they bought the house. And we wow. got asking price out of it. Uh, that was in July, and by August 29th, I was in a moving truck heading to Colorado. We had no friends, no family, no jobs, nothing. We just had our house that we were renting uh, and whatever I could fit in the back of my pickup truck and a U-Haul trailer. Uh, we had a 20-yard dumpster. Whatever didn't go in the trailer went into the dumpster. It was just it was, That was it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we got out to Colorado, and things just happened to this work. My wife got a job. Uh, I stayed home to take care of the kids and everything worked out pretty well so far. Uh, just the way that things tend to happen for us. So we just went with it. Well, that move, it, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I, I feel like men in general have this desire to be like, earners, hunter-gatherers, providers. Uh, and I had done that all my life. You know, I've worked since I was 16. That's, that's all I've done. And then I go from that bringing home money and being a provider to being like a, uh, a stay-at-home dad. It's exactly what I was. I didn't do anything. I just stayed home, watched kids, didn't have friends to talk to, and things started getting in my head a little rough. Well, at the same time, the guy that actually started 12 hike, Brad, uh, he's back in Southern Ohio. Uh, and 12 hike started as just like a hiking group. He wanted people to get together once a month and do small little hikes together. So he was doing that. And I started posting pictures of my Colorado hikes that I was taking. 
And he said, uh, hey, man, why don't you just help me kind of grow 12 hike a little bit? I was like, you know what? I could do that. I'm not doing anything else anyway. So uh, the combination of, of him wanting me to help with the 12 hike Facebook page, and there was another guy that just so happened to start a podcast called the Western Hunting Hub Podcast. Uh, he started one, so I sent him a message and said, hey, what all did you do to get started podcasting? And uh, me and him started talking back and forth, and I said, you know what? I can do a podcast for next to nothing, and it'll give me something to put some of my energy into. So I, I took you know, Brad's original 12-hike concept, and uh, in the podcast, I, I made it my own. It's not just about hiking. It's about being outdoors. And for me, it was just a way to talk to people again, to reconnect, because COVID hit at the same time. It was a very isolating time for everybody. So uh, I, I looked at what I enjoyed being outdoors, and I started searching for people that had similar passions as me. And it's led me down this path of talking to conservation groups, people that uh, take disabled individuals on hikes, uh, wilderness therapy, all, all kinds of things that I didn't even realize were things to do with the outdoors. And it's, it's been a little bit of like a saving grace for me. Now it's, it's just fun. I, I get mm -hmm. to learn from other people. It's great. Okay, just making sure we're going to step on each other. Nope. Before John, I'm, I'm taking notes here. So Okay, yeah. so what, Zach, so uh, I'm not going to lie. I haven't listened to all of your stuff, of course. You have a lot of really good stuff. But <clears throat> what I appreciate the most is, you know, I've listened to Evan's episode. I've listened to a, a lot of other people's episodes, more around the fishing community. Mm -hmm. And what I appreciate the most about it is your honesty with it. Uh, even though you are the host, right? You're not this omniscient being that knows everything, right? You are, you're Zach. You're Zach from 12 Hike and you don't mind asking questions and you don't, you are genuinely interested in what's going on with your guest and everything right there. And that's, I appreciate that a ton. And I just want to let you know that is something that it brings me a lot of joy listening because it's not fake. It's, it's you and your guest, And I really do appreciate that about the podcast. Well, I appreciate that. And you know, I'm, the more I talk to people, the more I realize I've talked to some really high caliber individuals that will take someone like, um, but a little bit of a breakdown three yes so uh, uh, as i was saying uh the the people really high caliber uh, 
they they spend so much more time chasing their passions than I do that I, I really take those opportunities to learn from those people. And it's all part of being humble. There's no yeah so the my guests i i've really tried to go out and get some people that really know a lot more than me and that's all intentional i uh i'm the kind of person i realize that i don't know everything and the, the more i can learn from people that have went out and spent a whole lifetime dedicating to themselves to something like catching crappie consistently or going out and focusing on catfish uh those are the things i appreciate because i don't i don't know much about catfishing but it's interesting to me because the idea of going out and catching like a, a 65 pound blue cat like uh i'm going fishing on a third with the guy that did that skip uh clear clear view outdoors that's all he does is he catfishes and he's great at it they catch huge fish all the time i don't know how to do that uh so, you know, yeah, part of it's just being humble, but the other part is just genuinely being curious. Yeah. I, you know, to echo John's sentiment, I, I love listening to your podcast and, it, you know, not, not to, you know, underscore the, the, you know, value of the other guests you have, because I listen to your hunting and I listen to the fishing and I listen to the hiking and the therapy. I mean, I listen to everything. I turn it on when I, when I go out and run in the morning. So I'm, I'm out there running along and some people, you know, they might, they might have like their, their workout jam or something, but I'm listening to Zach talk to guests <laughs> when I'm out running. And, um, just the, the quality of, of the folks that you bring on and, and the amount of knowledge that, and, and your questioning and, and, you know, the intentional questioning of those guests, it's, it's so cool. And I love it when you get the, the, the folks that are like really into like the specialized stuff, like you had, uh, a uh, gentleman from Craster uh, who does the, the, the crawfish. And then, um, you know, you also had, uh, you, you had uh, the guy uh, there that did the carp fishing, uh, the, the gentleman from Minnesota DNR about the pan fish. And you just learn so much from these people. Like, you know, for, for myself, uh, I, I think anybody just being able to go and outreach to these folks and everything, it, it, it's, it just has a lot of value. So it's super cool that that you're talking to those folks um how, but my my bigger question is is how do you get in touch with these folks like how do you find them basically i send messages and then i pray so <laughs> i i scan through social media and i look at something that i'm like oh i've never seen that or done that before it'd be really fun to talk to that person so i send an email i send an instagram message a facebook message and then i wait uh, and that, you know, when I first started, that was a, a real struggle for me because, so there, I guess there's two schools of thought on a podcast, right? Like you either do it because it's fun or you do it because you want to try to make money. You can't really, it's hard to do both unless you're in it for like 15 years. Mm -hmm. So I, I decided very early on, okay, I'm not going to be a niche. Yes. 12 hike is a hiking Facebook page, but the podcast is going to be mine and I'm going to make it whatever I want it to be. And I want to talk 
to anybody and everybody that has something to do with the outdoors. Uh, so in terms of getting guests, my model makes it very easy because I can just reach out to anybody and say, hey, you like doing stuff outdoors. I like doing stuff outdoors. Let's talk about it. And from there, you know, once you get – the biggest hurdle at the beginning was sending random people messages whenever you don't have a podcast because then it feels kind of creepy because you're like, some bald guy sending me messages about a podcast? <laughs> Who is this creep? But the, the first ever person I ever messaged, you know, she was a person that uh, dropped all of her plans and spent a summer looking for the Finn treasure. Have you guys heard of that? Mm-mm. No. <clears throat> so uh, this guy named Forrest Finn. He, uh, he built an honest-to-God treasure box, had gold, rubies, precious metals, all kinds of stuff in his treasure chest, and he hid it somewhere in the Rocky Mountain Range. And then he, uh, he wrote a poem and a book, and he said between those two things are all the clues you need to find out exactly where this treasure is, and if you can find it, you can have it. Well, that was like almost 15 years ago. Did you guys freeze up again? No. No, no, no. no. Uh, yeah, so that was almost 15 years ago, and this lady j- dropped her life to go look for this treasure. And I thought, well, it'd be very interesting to talk to someone who did that. So she was nice. That was my very first guest ever. Uh, and you know, we had this awesome conversation about how it impacted her life, what she got out of it, even though she didn't find the treasure. And that really set the stage for me. Like, I don't, It's not just that I want to talk to people that fish or hike. I want to talk to interesting people. I want to talk to people that have a, a good story. Um, and, and that's guided my whole philosophy on how I do the podcast. I, I try to listen more than I talk. And I hope that I purvey that because these people that I'm talking to are way more interesting than me. I don't have any story. Uh, but these people are, are excellent. Uh, nope, not stepping on each other. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Zach, so you have a mutual friend of ours as well, um, Brian, uh, not this Brian, but other Brian, and he said, I had to ask you okay. about ice fishing and about the time you guys thought you were going to die <laughs> because of the tent. <laughs> okay, so the, we'll, we'll talk about the transition fishing from... Uh, you know, the warm water species to the Rocky Mountain Western style fishing. It's all relevant. So uh, I grew up, obviously, Southern Ohio, fishing all these warm water creeks and rivers, going out and catching large mouth, small mouth, panfish, you know, catfish, all the warm water species that you associate with this type of climate. And I, you know, in my head, I had built up the Rockies as being like this fishing mecca. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to rule the waters because I catch so many fish here in Southern Ohio. And I was dead wrong. I went out there and I can't catch anything. I mean, I'm struggling hard. So whether it's luck, divinity, whatever you want to call it, I move in next door to this like outdoor God. He's got some kind of special superpowers uh, because he, he fills hunting tags every year. His garage looks like a Bass Pro Shop. He's just got everything you could ever think of. So we got, you know, me and Brian get to talking, and he's talking about going ice fishing. I've never been ice fishing ever. And I was like, ooh, I want to go do that. 
So he's like, all right, I got everything you need. All you got to do is bring your clothes, and, and we'll go fishing. I'm like, this is great. This guy's awesome. So that very first day, we gear up, and we go to this high-altitude lake. It's called Lake John. And we get out there, and um, he's talking about he's got two of the little fish flashers. You know, the indicators are mm-hmm. round, yep. just little dots. So he says one of them works perfect, and the other one's been dropped off the side of a boat. And it might work or it might not work. <laughs> so being the gracious guy he is, he gave me the one that's been dropped off the boat. And it might not work and it might work, whatever. He takes the good one. I'm, I'm fine with that. He's let me borrow everything. No big deal. So I'm over there fishing. My flasher is working great. No problems at all. His, on the other hand, starts goofing up. So we're over there messing with his fish finder, trying to get it to work. And all of a sudden, one of his ice fishing rods goes bloop, right down the hole, little six-inch oh. hole. Yeah, so he's like, I'm getting that pole back. I've had it forever. It's like my ice fishing rod. I'm getting it back. So we've got, see, I rig up a, a jig with a treble hook. He rigs up a jig with a treble hook. And we're just ripping, trying to get this stupid fishing pole back. Well, his other rod that's in his hole starts going off. So he drops his crap, goes over, picks up that rod. And he reels it up, and it's a fish with a jig in its mouth. So he's like, oh, man, I think I got it back. So we grab that line, pull it up. Sure enough, he gets his rod back. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Guys, that trip set off some sort of karma or chain of events. Every single time I've went fishing with him, it's been a disaster. (laughs) So that was the very first time I went fishing. The second time we went fishing, we went to a different (laughs) lake and uh, we get out on the lake and he's got this, uh, you know, gas powered auger. I've had it for years. Works great. No problems. Blah, 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 blah. And and we're out there for 35 minutes ripping on this thing. (laughs) Nothing doing it. It will not fire. It won't drill a hole. And serendipity intervenes and uh, out comes a, a representative from Cast King. And he's got his, you know, electric or drill-powered auger. Uh, he's nice enough to drill us a few holes. So uh, we're, you know, fishing that way. He's got to go out and buy a new Eskimo auger because I broke his other one somehow. <laughs> uh, so that's trip number two. Trip number three, we go back to the same lake with his nice new drilled ice auger. We're like, oh, man, we're going to wreck these fish. We're going to drill so many holes. So we draw a hole. The ice auger works great. Get our go to get the tent set up, and the wind picks up, and we're like, "Oh, that might blow us off the lake." Like you could stand on the lake, and it just pushed you. You didn't have to move. Wow. So we look at each other and go, "Man, it's awful windy out here." You think we should set up the tent? And we look at each other and go, "Yeah, let's set up the tent. We can do it." So we get this ice hut out, and he's got six ice screws, right? So we're we this thing down we tie it down tight it's beautiful it's it, like it could be on everest and it's going to be fine so we get in the ice hut we drill our holes and uh you know as soon as we just drop down jigs we'll start catching fish we're right on top of them and I'm, I'm looking at my my flasher i'm not even looking up just looking at the flasher and the next thing i know my toboggan gets ripped off my head i've got a cut on my head and brian's laying flat on his face getting spun across the lake because the wind's blowing so hard oh jeez. Yeah, I look up, and it's like from Wizard of Oz. His ice fishing hut is like twirling. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I mean, our ice fishing stuff gets scattered all across the lake. We had uh, like our jars of power bait out, tackle boxes, rods. Oh, geez. Everything just goes flying oh. across the ice. Man. And me and Brian look up, and his ice fishing hut has got to be at, just in like the span of 15 seconds, like a half a mile away from us. And wow. it's just flying, tumbling across the lake. And I'm like, Brian, dude, what are we going to do? He goes, I'm going to get my truck and go get my ice fishing hut. So, we, <laughs> you know, we've got, we got people bringing us all kinds of fishing stuff. Like, hey, is this, is this your guys' stuff? I'm like, yeah, give it to us. So we pile all of our crap in the ice fishing sled. We walk back to his truck. And we drive all the way around the lake. There's another parking spot over by the dam. So we park there. And then... I'm like, Brian, where is this ice fishing hut? Because I know exactly where it's at. You just follow me. So we're walking. We probably get a half a mile in. And he looks over and goes, see that fence line? It's going to be in there somewhere. And I'm like, all right, if you think it's there. So we're walking, walking, walking. Next thing you know, bam, big red ice fishing hut mangled, <laughs> absolutely mangled in a barbed wire fence. Oh, just wrapped geez. up in it. And I'm like, Brian, what are we doing? That, that's going to be unusable. He goes, I'm getting my ice fishing hut back. So... <laughs> So we marched over there and we untangled this thing and we folded up the best we could. And uh, we end up cramming it into his pack and get it back to his house. He sets it up. What happened? So we go back to where we were fishing. The ice auger screws, all of them were still in the ice. Oh, it ripped the, the tie down tabs had ripped off the ice fishing hut. Jeez. Yeah, man, that took a lot of wind force because, you know, you think about like tent camping and, and you get a wind that comes up and it'll collapse the poles, but it never tears it out of the ground. You know, even even just with the those little chintzy stakes that you know, a lot of the cheap tents come with. But, you know, for the, the ice screws didn't give it was the tent itself. That's uh, man. Uh. So inside the tent, there was one broken pole and uh, he's got some old fiberglass tent rods. That he's going to cut and modify it. Uh, and I think he's he's put new grommets on his ice fishing hut. So okay. hopefully come December, we'll be ready to rock and roll, man. We've got a brand new ice fishing <laughs> hut. <laughs> if he lets me go. So after that, you know, uh, he ends up breaking the tips on one of his ice fishing rods because he shuts it in the trunk. Oh, geez. Uh, his physical truck develops a hole up in the cab corner and starts leaking water. I don't know if he's going to take me anywhere this year. And he wants to take me hunting, like give me a gun and go out in the same place. With him. <laughs> I, I'm not sure it's a great idea, but he's going to do it. Uh, I told him, I said, Brian, I don't know if it's good or bad that, you know, I'm here with you this winter. Uh, I guess the good news is you've got all new stuff, but the bad news is you're freaking broke because I'm, you have to replace everything that I broke. <laughs> well, but it's, a... not, he, is, he is the epitome of what I feel like an outdoorsman should be. So he, he took this complete stranger that he's never met before in his life. He, he enabled me to go out and had an experience that I've never experienced before and didn't ask anything for it. He just said, hey, come with me. The fun for me is seeing new people try it. Uh, and I went out, had a great time. Here I am. I've got all my own ice fishing gear now. I don't have to, I don't have to rely on him. But he's the kind of person that, that enables you to go out and enjoy the outdoors yeah that's a such a cool thing because uh, a lot of people a lot of people gatekeep you know as you know it, it it's one of those things you just take a quick peek at certain you know social media pages and and outlets and and some of the folks that are associated a lot of people tend to gatekeep and 
that's not the right attitude to have, especially with a population that's that's starting to wane towards more of uh, that urbanization uh, aspect, you know, and and less of the the outdoors and enjoying the outdoors and. Uh, you know, there, there's something to be had for everybody in the outdoors and, uh, you know, but, but like, like your neighbor, Brian, you know, he, he, just for him to take you out and like, Hey, you want to try ice fishing? Let's take you out ice fishing. You want to go learn how to hunt for Rocky mountain elk here, you know, we'll, we'll go out and we'll go do some scouting or, you know, that it's, it's people like that, that help folks like you stay out in the outdoors. And then you take your kids out too. So we see a lot of, of you doing stuff with your kids and everything else. And uh, it, so that, to me, that that's really cool. Um, when you, when you came from Ohio to Colorado and you started, you know, kind of searching for things to do, did you hit any major obstacles? I mean, you were lucky to have Brian for the next door neighbor, but what, what kind of obstacles did you have to overcome as far as like, that, that adjustment and being, you know, a transplant from an Eastern state into a Western state. And, uh, you know, did, did you come up against anything that was like, and I don't want to guide the question, but did you come up against anything where it was like, it seemed inaccessible to you or like there wasn't going to be a chance for you without a lot of struggle? Um, so the closest that I would say that I came to that was through hunting, uh, fishing, but why were you come here? here? This is my youngest kid, by the way. Let's go and get this over with because he's going to bug us until he says hi. Oh, that's okay. You want to tell him hi? Hi. Hi. <laughs> awesome. Go. Why do you want to Nothing fishing has ever felt inaccessible to me. Uh, if I see a body of water, I've got a broad enough knowledge that I, could, I can go out there and catch a fish. And I did that. You know, the first summer I was here, you, you take some basic bass fishing tackle out to a, a pond or a reservoir, go fish some structure. Yeah, you'll catch a couple bass. So fishing never felt inaccessible. Now, when it comes to hunting, the, the Western system of hunting was very hard for me to wrap my head around. Uh, you know, back here in Ohio, you go out and buy a hunting license mm-hmm. and you can hunt the entire state. Same, you know, you buy a deer tag or a turkey tag, you can hunt anywhere in the state, and it's perfectly fine. With with the Western draw system uh, in Colorado, I'm not sure if Oregon's the same, but yeah, it is. Uh, you you look at the season, so we'll take mule deer season for example. Mm-hmm. It's broken down into archery for a month or two months, then you get a muzzleloader season. There's a short break. Then there's a first rifle, second rifle, third rifle, fourth rifle, and then another muzzleloader season. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the whole state is broken down in the game management units. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at the whole state and go, okay, I might be able to hunt unit 19 uh, if I have enough preference points or if I get lucky enough in the lottery. So I'll put in for mule deer, first rifle, unit 19 and hope that I get it. I never had to deal with that here in Ohio. I just bought a deer tag, and for a week, I was I was Elmer Fudd with a gun. You know, I was out there mm-hmm. walking around trying to shoot something. Uh, and that, still, I struggle with it quite a bit, because I know there are ways to optimize the system so that you get to hunt more frequently or get to hunt areas you want to hunt. 
but I still I still haven't got to figure it out. It's crazy. You know, you were you were talking about you know tag systems and and everything else there uh, in in relation to hunting. Uh, here in you know just to to echo that here in Oregon, uh, so we have game management units. We will have a uh, so we have number series hunts. So we'll we'll just take deer. So deer are deer in general here. So there's not like a a mule deer and a Colombian blacktail. But you do have uh, special whitetail tags because we have Colombian whitetail. We do have blacktail, and then we have the mule deer, and it's all geographically based. So the blacktail are going to be in western Oregon. The mule deer are going to be in, in in central and eastern Oregon. Uh, but but everything in central and eastern Oregon is now draw system, even for the people that live there. So they might put in for a tag in in the the county or the unit in which they live, and may not even be able to go hunt there. But, but it's universally open in Western Oregon. You go buy a general rifle tag or a general archery tag and you can hunt all of Western Oregon. Then, then it gets into like, oh, you want to do antlerless or, or a single deer, like a hair tag. Then, then that's a different hunt series or, you know, and, and I could see, you know, growing up with it, it was, that's just normal. But if you're coming from a state back East and you're coming out to try to figure that out, good luck. The fishing gets even more complicated uh, because it depends on the river systems that you're fishing in. And then, um, you know, for different species, you have to have a uh, harvest tag or harvest cards and, um, you know, special um, tags and then um, like conservation endorsements. Uh, the, there's all kinds of different stuff. And then waterfowl. Yeah. <laughs> waterfowl goes out. Yeah, that's, that's sideways, you know, because if you're hunting sea ducks, you have to get a sea duck permit or, uh, if you're if you're hunting uh, geese in in northwestern Oregon, you have to go through a, a goose ID permit test, and uh, it, it just gets so insane. The western hunting and fishing uh, tag and licensure system is 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 bonkers because it's not like you can just go buy a license. You have to get a license, and then you have to get like a basin endorse, like Columbia Basin endorsement. That's something that we have to have. Anything that feeds into the Columbia River, which is pretty much every river with the exception of the coast rivers, uh, you have to buy that endorsement in order to fish for salmon or steelhead or sturgeon. And then, you know, offshore fishing permits, shellfish permits for, for crab and clams, it, it just goes on and on. So um, were you able to get help with that? I mean, when you moved, or, or, I mean, obviously Brian was able to probably guide you through a lot of that, but when you first moved there and you were trying to go hunting, were you able to get help with understanding the unit systems and preferences and things like that? Oh yeah. So uh, another thing that I've, I try to practice what I preach, you know, we have department of natural resources, uh, employees. They're there for a reason. They're generally, they're people that love the outdoors as much as I do. The only difference is they've got a badge and they know the rules a lot better than me. Mm -hmm. So I, I try to tell everybody I talk to, Hey, listen, there are people out there that are more than willing to help you. All you gotta do is ask them. So with, um, with Colorado parks and wildlife, it's a it's an incredibly helpful group of people so you can and their brochure is very in-depth too that's that's the key uh you can learn almost anything you need to know about the technicalities of hunting from their brochure some of it's complicated but if you get the big game brochure and actually study it and you can answer all your own questions so number one make sure you do your own research and you're educated about what you're trying to do number two if you do have questions a lot of people like to go on these Facebook groups and get on with the keyboard warriors and try to figure out stuff. Wrong, yeah. wrong answer. 
your tax dollars pay a whole department of people that know exactly what's going on and mm -hmm. know the rules. Just pick up the phone and call them. And nine times out of ten, if you have some questions about areas, uh, you know, talk to the, the 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 rangers. You know, they'll they'll tell you exactly what you need to know. So as far as that goes, I really didn't have any trouble trying to learn the system. It's complicated, and I'm still trying to figure out how to optimize it for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it's it's worked out pretty well for me. I will say, my my biggest fishing struggle. If we're talking about fishing. Um, has became glaringly evident to me now that I came back from vacation. So uh, well, Sunday, me and Sean, one of the other guys in 12 Hike, went fishing at a local uh, river, right? Uh, I took out some of John's. Actually, that's all I took out was John's plastics. So, John, the pressure was on to go catch some fish, my man. Uh, so we took out these plastics, and we, we hit this little river. We, wait, we wet-weighted it. So all we had on was shorts and our T-shirts and shoes. Um, water didn't really ever get within our waist, but it was all, you know, sand, a combination of sand and gravel bottom creek. And we're just fishing structure, you know, flipping up underneath trees, hitting weed lines. And we had a great day. Caught you know, numerous bass. Had, could see bass following our lures. It was your atypical warm water fishing session. And I got done and I thought, there isn't a creek near my house that I can do that in. All of the creeks are these raging torrents that come out of the water. They're bouldered. You can't just walk up them and fish the whole thing. You have to pick through little pockets, fish it, which has probably been fished a hundred times. And those trout have probably seen a hundred flies that day. Uh, and that's, that is gut-wrenching for me because my favorite type of fishing is just wet wading creeks and, and little small rivers. It is, I don't think you can get, it's, it's the most pure basic type of fishing fun you can have. And I can't do that. Absolutely. Now. now I'm stuck with, you know, these crystal clear reservoirs and these raging torrent rivers that I have no freaking idea how to fish. So that, that's been my struggle, just trying to relearn fishing. And, you know, there, there's a lot to be said about that. Um, moving from Tennessee, you know, that's, that's where I was pretty much born and raised. And then I spent a little time almost out West and then some, you know, some time overseas and all this other stuff. Right. But really coming to Texas, um, a lot of people are going to get upset about this maybe, but Texas bass fishing because that was me. I was a bass fisherman. That's what I wanted to identify myself as was a bass fisherman. And in Tennessee, we have, we have a lot, the turbidity is a lot better. You know, the water's a lot cooler. Um, we've got high mountains, not high mountain, but we've got mountain streams. Uh, we call them mountains. Brian says they're like speed bumps. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, we, we've got all this really unique structure and just geography out there in the Appalachians and around that area. And then I moved to Texas and I'm slamming bass every, every day I go out. And I'm like, this is, this is kind of unreal. Um, one of the main fisheries I fished growing up was Cordell Hole Reservoir in um, I think Smith County, uh, Tennessee. My, my dad adoringly always called it the Dead Sea. And, <laughs> you know, and, and people would always say, if you can catch fish there, you can catch fish everywhere. And I didn't believe that. 
but it, it's and and I say that you know I I get to Texas and the fishing just is prolific. It's explosive. Our top water season started in March. You know I'm like I'm not even kidding. Um, I was catching bass on poppers in March, and then I go into Arkansas, and I can't hardly catch anything it's the the water's super clear it's it's way colder than even tennessee you know i'm I'm fishing these these tailwater rivers and i'm having issues to catch fish specifically trout you know used to all these warm water species and i i've spent several days out on that river and i haven't caught anything and uh, it's just like you said i don't even know if it's relearning but it's just adding to your base knowledge because we, we know fish we, we know fish like, like structure so i'm going to fish the structure i'm going to fish these laydowns because there's not a fish that doesn't like cover you know and then i don't catch anything there and i'm like well i'm kind of out of ideas now <laughs> <laughs> no doubt well it, you know growing up here where i did fishing was you know, I grew up being outdoors with my grandpa, uh, small game hunting squirrel almost exclusively. So doing that, and then the way that fishing was taught to me is you go out with the hook and bobber and some night crawler, and you throw it out there and you let it set, and you hope to God that something comes by and picks it up, or you take off the bobber and fish on the bottom, and you throw it out there and you hope to God that something comes by and picks it up. As I grew up, you know, I, I've loved to fish, always have, always will. I, I realize that there are other ways to catch other fish. So you branch out, you start doing, uh, to me, uh, a Texas rig soft plastic. You can't go wrong here in Southern Ohio with that. You will catch a fish, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. So you start with the real basic stuff. You get your confidence up. Okay, I can use this worm really well and catch bass every time I go out. Well, how about I try throwing on a spinner bait? You know, I've seen those used on TV and people catch bass. So maybe I can try spinner bait. So you throw that on. You're like, oh man, I can use a spinner bait. That's great. So you, you just start, like you said, John, adding all of this stuff to your knowledge base. Like, okay, I can use certain lures at certain times in certain situations. And that's how I know I'm going to catch fish. I haven't had that kind of time in Colorado yet. Uh, and I've actually, I, I almost want to say I've regressed a little bit. Uh, because I'm, I'm a roadrunner junkie. Like, I, I think it's the best little jig ever made. And I'm like, okay, no matter what, my roadrunner has never disappointed me. So I'm always throwing that stupid thing on there and trying to catch, you know, trout and stuff that really don't seem to care that much about those kind of lures. And uh, I've just got to get over myself and start using the things that I know will work out there, which is just completely different. And I think that's a big problem, maybe for more anglers than they like to consider, is their little uh, their comfort lure that they never want to take off the off the rod. And and Sean gives me crap about it all the time. He's like, "Dude, won't you try something else other than Roadrunner?" I'm like, "Screw off! I'm going to catch fish." <laughs> so, you know, you were you were alluding to um, fishing pressure, uh, and and it seems to me that um, and comparatively speaking, when, when you talk about Ohio, the, the area you're coming from there in Southern Ohio or, uh, you know, Colorado, 
do you notice that there's a lot more fishing pressure in Colorado versus Ohio? I mean, you can go wet, wet way to stream in Ohio and fish and catch fish, but you're talking about, you know, there's a lot of streams around you in Colorado, but they've, they've had hundreds of flies bombed through, whether it's being nymphed or dry flight or streamered or, you know, anything else, you notice a lot more fishing pressure in Colorado. hundred percent. So here in Southern Ohio, where I'm at right now, the entire county has maybe between 65 and 72,000 people. That's the whole county. The city I live in has more than that. And then I'm, the, I'm one of the smaller cities on the front range. You know, I've got Denver, Longmont, Fort Collins, uh, Colorado Springs, all on that eastern edge of the Rocky Mountains. There are a ton of people that fish there. So you've got uh, the Poudre River and the Big Thompson. Those are the two streams that are very close to me. Well, the Big Thompson is right on the way to Rocky Mountain National Park. And the Poudre is, uh, is a rated, I think it's a gold-rated stream. So, you know, the fishing there is really good if you know what you're doing and mm. if you can find a spot. You can drive up the Poudre Canyon any given day, and every parking spot will have at least two cars on it. And it's like that all day long you know that those trout that are in those streams have seen whatever the hatch is for that time of year at least 15 times that day mm-hmm. and for someone like me to go out and that has really very little experience matching the hatch yeah i can toss a fly rod around but that's not the important part the important part is you're tying on what they're eating mm-hmm. i don't have enough experience with that so I'm out there floundering around like an idiot while I've got all these Sims pros all around me that are decked out in all their gear and their lanyards. And, you know, they're like hardcore fly anglers. And I'm out there trying to catch fish in shorts and a t-shirt. And I've got my little fly box that has some generic flies in it. Hmm. It, it doesn't work that way out West. I could, I could do that here in Southern Ohio. I could take just about anything out on a stream than and those fish haven't seen people in weeks mm-hmm. because no one like the place that we fished the other day it's underneath a bridge right on the main road no one thinks that there's fish in there because when you look at it from the bridge it looks like this you know dirt stained shallow little stretch of river that doesn't hold fish mm-hmm. well that's that's absolutely not the case you got to get out of your car get down the stream walk about a half a mile and you start running into these deep holes that have wonderful fish in them. Um, that's just, it's not, it doesn't work that way in Colorado, that in my experience. So what, what is coming from Ohio to Colorado? What is, is the fishing culture? What would you say it's more open and friendly moving out West? Or do you think it's more, hush hush closed mouth kind of you're an outsider kind of deal i think certain for certainly for me it's probably more of like uh an outsider type deal i i don't i think anglers in general are usually pretty tight-lipped um i make sean really mad because i tell all kinds of people some of our honey holes he's like shut the hell up you're gonna get away all our spots uh but for those guys out there you know i don't know what it is about trout uh, people will hold them in extremely high regard and i'm like dude it's a trout man this is a slimy little fish that doesn't really <laughs> taste that good to me whatever 
but people go ape over them. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, whatever. That's great. Show me where the crappie are. Cause that's what I want. You know, put me on some walleye. Now we're talking, but you know, all brown trout and rainbows and cutthroats. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fine. Whatever. Yeah. And I think this for me, you know, growing up in an area where the, the climate here will not sustain trout. It is far too hot. Mm-hmm. The water quality is far too low. We just never got geeked up about fish like that. You know, uh, these warm water fish, they're white fish, they're flaky. They're not a meaty fish like a trout or a salmon. Mm-hmm. Like if I eat one trout a year, I'm fine. Like we catch one trout ice fishing, <laughs> like, right, I'm good. I've had my trout for the year. Uh, but you you can throw a crappie in front of me, forget about it. We're eating those things all day long. Yeah. I, but, it, but, go ahead. To answer your question, John, yes, I, I feel like they are not as friendly. And mm-hmm. I think you guys have alluded to it before in previous podcasts. You know, the fly fishing community can come off a little elitist and pretentious. And I don't think that helps their image any because when you get guys that will seemingly look down their nose when you're using what they consider subpar gear, it, it just does not, it's not a good look. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> that reminds me of what Steve said last week. Yeah. His Canadian friend, they're up at this casting pool. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to listen to that one, but you know, one of their Canadian reps from Maxon is up there at this casting pool and they're using this this Maxon Versa, which is this spin fly combo deal. Uh-huh. And uh they're casting and he was like that's just this thing you don't do with that. And this guy comes up and he's like, what is that piece of shit? And his Canadian <laughs> friends like it's th- this piece of shit's casting 20 foot further than yeah. you. I was like, that's the I, fly anglers don't help themselves. No, they really don't. So they, let uh, me tell you what, what my introduction to fly, like a fly rod reel was. My dad's a smoker, right? Smokes Marlboros. He's smoked Marlboro Reds for years. Well, I don't know if you guys remember, they used to have this thing where you could clip the, the cartons and they had little coupons <laughs> on them, right? Yeah. Well, he saved up, I don't know how many thousands of packages of Marlboro Reds and with his little coupons, and he bought a Marlboro uh, fly-spin combo thing. <laughs> that was my introduction to fly rods. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that this, this is the problem with the West and being from here, being native to the West, uh, growing up here, you know, and, and for anybody that, that moves out here, the, the, the fly culture, I don't know why. And, and maybe, maybe these people just make themselves stand out. Maybe they're, maybe they're the loud minority, right? But there is just something about, you know, it the fly culture that's broken uh it, it, it has to do with you know and i don't know if it's like you know like the the uh, you know big dick contest so to speak you know i got i got the sage fly rod i got the you know sims g4 waders i i can list off i i could list off twelve thousand dollars worth of gear that you could wear on your person right now that's all fly related and 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 it doesn't make any difference except you look cool on the river i guess you look like the guy out of the magazine uh it's to me what i always i i go back and i always think back to like the origins of fishing 
And when you really look back into the origins of, of, you know, fishing, fly fishing, things like that, the, the folks that were, were doing this early on did not have the, that luxury of equipment. It was not there. So how did we get from, you know, uh, Isaac Walton and, and dapping live mayflies on a lake in, in England to needing a 13 foot double handed spay rod with, with, you know, a $1,200 rod, a $800 reel, $400 line, $800 waders, $300 wading boots, a BMW and, and a fucking cheese plate to be able to go out and fish. That's what I, I don't know. How did we get to that point? When my grandpa bought a fly rod at Western Auto Parts, it was probably $15 and it came with line and a box of flies and everything else. How did we get, I, I just don't understand it. And, and that's the hardest thing for a lot of folks to grasp. And then, and then the folks buy this stuff, they may not even be able to fish. That's, that's the amazing part is that I, I've seen people all decked out head to toe, all this uh, gear and equipment. Maybe they went and they caught a couple fish and they're like, oh, well, I can do this. So I'm going to go buy all this expensive equipment. I don't know. Maybe they got a high limit credit card. I, blows my mind. You know, I don't want to speak. I don't want to speak for John here, but I feel like coming from Appalachia, um, we're not my family's not poor by any means i would say we're middle class mm -hmm. so i grew up uh you know every year we had raise a garden we canned and froze our own fruits and vegetables we made our own cooking oils uh you know, we slaughtered hogs and cattle but i didn't have like the newest video game system i didn't have a nice new car um, I had to make do with some of those things that I, I didn't have. So mm -hmm. we'll get to fishing gear, for example. Uh, and me and my brother are a perfect example of this. He will go out and drop three or four hundred dollars on a on a bait casting combo for bass fishing. I'll go to Walmart and spend sixty. Mm -hmm. We'll go fishing, and we both catch fish. And in my mind, if I can do it with sixty versus four hundred, I'm going to do it that way. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it has to do with just the culture. You know, the, this Rust Belt area is, we're not bathed in luxury. We're poor people. Mm -hmm. We just, we make do with what we got. And if it works, there's absolutely no reason to change it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go out and drop a bunch of money on something that might work whenever I can do it exactly with this. You know, and to your point with, you know, the, the guy in England dapping mayflies and, just catching fish the native american in a gut string with an arrow that they made on their own mm -hmm. and they they killed animals well that's because they they knew the animals they knew the proper techniques they they were stealthier more careful more patient and i think that's a lot of stuff we've lost as outdoors people i think in general you know the that close connection with nature being patient and letting things happen instead of making them happen right uh and I, you know, I experienced all of that last year. You know, I tried to, to rush a deer hunt and I blew it. I wasn't comfortable with my equipment and it, and it blew it for me. Uh, and those are the things that I sat back and I looked at after I was done and said, man, 
if you if you would have dropped a Native American, like a, a primitive, primitive person in my spot, they would have shot that deer. Why didn't I? It's because I wasn't good enough. I didn't know how to hunt, and I thought I did. And I, I think that's back to your point with fishing. There are a lot of people that don't know how to fish and think that they can make up for that with name brand gear, high-quality mm-hmm. gear, high-priced yeah. gear. Yeah, no, I think that's a little. That's a barrier for people too, because mm-hmm. uh, you see those guys all decked out, and you're like, "Oh man, I can't fish with them. They're obviously way better than me. They're going to make fun of me." And uh, and I think as outdoors people, we need to promote, you know, just get outside. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you guys are trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, just letting people know, hey, don't those those are those are fake barriers. Don't worry about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Just get out and go and try it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, perceived inaccessibility and it goes back to gatekeeping and it goes back to just kind of being a douchebag. I think, you know, you don't have to, if you can get it done, you know, I'm a huge advocate of fishing with what you can afford and just fishing in general or getting outside in general, because if that's going to make you happy, that's going to give you some peace. That's going to give you some time to reconnect to something that maybe you've never had, or maybe it brings you back to when you were a kid fishing with your old man or your your mom or something like that, whatever you got to do to get back out there and find your connection with nature, do it. You know, and I, I'm actually, I'm having all these other people now they're talking to me and they're like, Hey, um, they're sending me links of, stuff from amazon and things like hey would you buy this um and the first thing i always tell them is what's really big for me is the warranty on things because when i started out especially in in the fly world you know i've still got amazon rods in there and i still fish with them and i still catch fish i've got all my pbs on a rod from amazon and on good fly line an amazon reel and an amazon rod and it, it catches fish because the equipment is like you said, it's, it's people just put it out there like, Oh, you need this because you should, let's, uh, you know, take some of the MLF guys or some of the Bassmaster open or Bassmaster elite series, all these guys, right. They're fishing all this awesome stuff. They've got all these awesome electronics, these $150,000 2022 Falcon, you know, like 24 yeah. foot boats with 250 horse Mercs on them and all this stuff. And, Mm-hmm. you know i mean it's a little exaggerated there but the price isn't that, that's a very real price for that boat it's one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. i could buy a house you know I, yeah. I i can't i can't afford that and i i came from very humble beginnings you know like you said in appalachia you know it's a i grew up in a farm town uh won't get in all that stuff I, i'd say we were just fine where we were some people would say we were uh, you know, uh, below the median. Other people would say we were above the median. I guess it's what your perspective is, but we didn't, we didn't have all that super expensive stuff to get out there and go fish or hunt, but we got it done. It's, it's, it's this, pers- Brian said it the best, and I'll, I'll say this the rest of my life, is this perceived inaccessibility that I don't, I don't know why people want to make it seem like you need all that stuff. I, I, I can't fathom that. Yeah. And I, in the South, it's bass fishing. Oh, you don't have a bait caster? You're using a fairy wand? 
what what are you even doing out here on the lake <laughs> no seriously yeah. i mean they're like what are you even doing out here you're wasting your time you ain't gonna catch anything and then you know you, you start moving out west and they're like oh you know they're licking their fingers yeah. fixing their eyebrows and they're like you don't have a uh, a sage zero weight for panfish no. oh don't even say panfish pan. in the west yeah <laughs> that, that's a trash I'm, fish out here yeah it's like no i don't i would i like one someday maybe mm-hmm. i don't know but i don't have to have that it's just it's so bizarre to me it's it's literally mind-boggling mm-hmm. you know who knows you know brian mentioned trash fish right like mentioning certain fish is like just taboo yeah well for a long time i've i've given sean crap about catching sheephead because I think in any other circle, sheephead carp, they're, you know, they're, they're considered trash fish. And my, my disdain for them runs deep because he tried to kill me to catch one. So uh, <laughs> I've got reasons why I don't like them. We're out there in the middle of a creek and I'm fly fishing, trying to catch a carp on the fly. And this, you know, River Valley thunderstorm comes ripping through there and he hooks a drum on his little micro like a zebco 411 or something oh, i mean it it ripped the guts <laughs> out of it it just it ruined that reel so he's he's got this little rebel crawl he's trying to daintily get this hook out of this fish's mouth i was like hey sean uh, let me see that fish for a second so i take his fish and his pliers and i rip his crankbait apart and i throw the fish in there let's get out of here you're going to kill me i've got this nine foot lightning rod up in the air but <laughs> now like it's sunday we went uh fishing and on our way back we caught this pool with nothing but carp drum and gar just it was trash city that's all they were nice. and we were sight fishing for those stupid fish and i had more fun then than i did the whole day and i told sean i we're coming back here with the proper stuff and i will catch one of those before i leave uh john you would have been proud of me i i came this close to catching a long nose gar and it would have been the biggest <laughs> gar of my life this stupid thing was swimming away from me and i tossed something in front of it and it did its little gar thing and it went over to check it out and i don't think it actually picked it up i think i may have hooked him in the nose but i set the hook and he does a big swirl and then like a torpedo he comes swimming right at me that big old mouthful of teeth and that big nose and i'm like oh god what am i going to do now <laughs> <laughs> I could have reached down and grabbed it. That's how close the stupid thing was to me, but it got past me and spit the hook. And I was like, Oh, we're coming back here. Cause I'm going to catch one of those things. And I've been seeing all your posts about catching gar. And I'm like, there, there's this whole, you know, category of fish that, that a lot of people just dis. Credit because they're deemed unworthy. Uh, mop fly i've heard and i've witnessed that carp are some of the finickiest fish you can find they're spooky you've got to cast for them very precisely uh sheephead or drum what we have around here in southern ohio and, and people just look at them and, uh, and it just goes back to that culture of, of elitism that whether you're bass fishing or drought fishing uh it, it's a very real thing and it, it's it's societal it's not just fishing hunting mm. has the same problem if oh, yeah. you don't have a, a the brand new matthews bow the, yeah. the brand new first light camo you are you are 
wasting your time. Why are you even out there? Mm-hmm. And our grandfathers went out and plaid, red yeah. and black plaid, and shot deer all the time. Yep. It's just a society. And as a society, we've gotten to the point where nothing's really hard anymore. So, like, if you want groceries, you just click a few buttons on Walmart's website, and they deliver your groceries to your door. Yeah. It doesn't get much easier. You know, my great my great grandparents, if they wanted to have meat for breakfast, like if they want to have a fried chicken, maybe not well, probably for breakfast. They were they were crazy. But they would go out to the chicken coop and they would wring a chicken's neck and butcher it. They mm-hmm. had to do those things on a daily basis. Uh we've we've lost touch with that. Now now things are much too easy. Well, and that and that process of getting the food is is so clean. Uh, that, and, and that's, that's society's fault. That's pop culture and society's fault because, you know, uh, right now there's the, and, and there again, I, I don't want to make this all about like, you know, not you Zach, but right now in Oregon, there's a, a petition called IP 13 and basically, and I sent this over to John, basically this petition is to, uh, ban, um, any kind of animal husbandry practices, uh, farming, slaughter, uh, hunting, fishing, trapping, um, dog competitions with the AKC, uh, all under the pretense that it's animal abuse or sexual assault to an animal. Uh, It's a very bizarre thing. Sexual assault to an animal? Yeah, so so castration, um, artificial insemination, that would be considered felony sexual assault to an animal under under this uh, petition that has not went to uh, the status of being on a ballot. Now, you, you got a lot of groups fighting it. You got TU, you got uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, the Oregon Cattlemen's Association, a, a lot of high-powered groups that are fighting it for a good reason because it is literally one of the most insane things. And, and when I, I, I always go look at the, you know, where does this come from? I, I never just base it on what the media says, you know, or, or what one of these foundations. So I went directly to the campaign website and in that website, it said that uh, you could butcher an animal and consume it after it died of natural causes. Now, before I go too much further here, usually when something dies in natural causes, it dies for a reason. And I have never seen where the USDA has approved people to eat a, a cow that just like died uh, on the floor of a barn. I, I, I don't even know if they would, can, under this law, because it's so, you know, or under this proposed petition to put it on a ballot measure. I don't know if it would even be considered sexual assault to milk a cow or a goat. I, I, I'm serious. I'm dead serious. This is, this is what's happened. You, you're talking about that, that, that connection to the wild and, and our, our food resource and everything else and, and how, you know, how society has sanitized it. You can go in, you can buy a steak in the, in the grocery store in hands off. You, and like you said, you can click it on, on your phone, but to actually go and, and go down to the cattle yard, you know, or, or the cattle auction, buy the calf, bring the calf home as this cute little baby calf, feed it, you know, inoculate it, do all those different types of things, you know, lance abscesses so it doesn't have abscesses to castrate it if it's a bull and turn it into a steer or whatever, you know, whatever you have to do. 
to raise that up into being a year and a half or two year old beef cow and then slaughter it and then consume it. That, that whole process has been eliminated and people, people just don't want to fathom the fact that that's the way that we eat. <laughs> you know, it, it's just like with the fish, it's like the, you know, the catch and release thing, like the, the, you know, you, you have people like, oh, you don't, you don't need to keep that. You don't, you know, all this other stuff. It's because fishing has been sanitized through social media. It's, it, it's one of those things where people are like, oh, well, you have to gently handle these fish and, and, you know, put on your white gloves and everything else. I will tell you that, that a walleye is, is one tough fish. A, a pike is one tough fish. A bass is a super tough fish. These fish are tough. They fight each other. They bite each other. They eat each other. They're, they're tough. They're, they're extremely tough fish. Uh, a human hooking them in the small percentage of the fish in the whole population that get hooked. Yeah, mishandling can kill fish. I, I'm not going to deny that. But on the other hand, when somebody gets critical on, on how somebody's handling a fish and then it scares them away from, you know, even wanting to fish or anything else, you know, everybody's perception of how you should and shouldn't are, are two totally different things. But, but that's the funny thing, because if you look at science and history, you know, one of the prevailing arguments of how humans evolved and, and got their intelligence was from the process of hunting and cooking meat. Mm -hmm. Why is that something that's all of a sudden so taboo? You know, it's probably one of the, the main things that, uh, you know, evolved our whole status from Neanderthals to, to human beings. Uh, maybe some of it's just the personification of animals in pop culture. So, you, you know, I think Steve Ronello has talked about this a lot. Uh, certainly Joe Rogan has, you know, yeah. uh, the, the cartoons that are making the, the grizzly bear out to be this cuddly, fun thing or... Uh, a deer to be this cute innocent little creature mm -hmm. deers eat baby birds they are brutal animals mm -hmm. uh they they kill their young sometimes i mean nature is horrific and if you want any proof just go to nature is metal and you'll get all the proof you need that nature is a very scary place and uh as far as what we can do and I, I think you guys as well as i we're, we're trying to, to do this in our own little way is, is change the the culture of how outdoors people are perceived so mm -hmm. for me uh we'll take hunting for example my whole goal as a hunter is to go out and kill one single animal as quickly and cleanly as possible mm -hmm. take that animal home and use as much of it as i can to sustain myself and my family. And I think if you talk to any ethical good hunter or angler, that is their goal. Mm -hmm. um, you, we've, we've been, hunters and anglers have been personified in their own way. You know, we Elmer Fudd is a prime example. Yep. Going out there, guns blazing, shooting anything that moves, that's not the case. Uh, I can only speak for myself. Last year, uh, I had a had my full draw my bow ready to shoot a deer and in that brief moment i felt uncomfortable with the shot and i didn't take it mm -hmm. i i had the opportunity to shoot at something but because it wasn't a clean had the possibility of being an unclean kill or just injuring me and why i said you know what i'm going to let this deer walk because it's better than hurting it mm -hmm. and uh i think if we can get more stories like that in front of people and just educate them you know hunters and anglers 
what's it called the the Robertman Robert Pittman Act? Is Pittman it Robertson. The, yeah, it's basically Pittman Robertson. Yeah, hunters and anglers have provided so much funding for conservation. If it wasn't for hunters, anglers, and recreational shooters, we probably wouldn't have a quarter of the natural spaces we have now. Oh, yeah. All of that money that we spend for the privilege to maybe, maybe shoot a deer or an elk, uh, that all goes directly into funding new habitat, uh, maintaining habitat, outreach programs, education programs about different animals, research. Uh, we, we're a very important part of that whole system. And to mm -hmm. just try to take it away is very reckless. You know, even being a part of the the BASS, um, which I don't remember what that stands for. I'm terrible about that. But uh, a very large amount of that membership fee, you know, that's like the Trout Unlimited for the, for the bass fishermen in the South, being a part of BASS. And such a large portion of that money goes towards conservation and youth. It's mm -hmm. ridiculous. And, and then you buy your license, right? You buy your license and that money goes towards conservation and youth and stocking and natural wildlife programs. Like we, we don't just buy licenses to go out there and partake in nature. It's also because it funds so many great things. And Zach, like you said, we anglers and hunters, we've spent so much money to be afforded an opportunity just to enjoy that piece of nature how we want within the legality of the laws, you know? I think I, the other thing that's kind of odd like, is, you know, as, as a hunter or an angler, um, it, it does me no good to see an area that won't sustain life. My whole goal as a hunter or an angler is to make sure an area is is optimized for wildlife so if i go fishing and this is something that's been driving me crazy everywhere i go and it surprised me in colorado the uh, plastic bottles plastic bags fishing line stuff that's along the banks where people just leave their stuff you know part of my fishing kit now is i carry garbage bags and if i see stuff i pick it up i understand that if if somebody doesn't take care of those areas they're going to get trashed up and unusable because there aren't any fish that can survive in that place. Right. Um, it's just, it's being a good steward. And, you, and as outdoors people, we're the ones that are out there most. We see these areas, you know, optimally on a, a weekly basis. And if we can't take the responsibility to just pick up a little bit, it takes 10 minutes, 10 minutes out of your fishing day, pick up an area and then do that every week or everywhere you go. Uh, it's much more effective than relying on government agencies to go out there and mm -hmm. pick that stuff up. Yeah. And that, and that's something that, uh, just, I, I see it all the time, uh, especially in urban fisheries, just the amount of uh, garbage that, that, that's strung out. And, and it's an effect, it's not necessarily an effect of people like doing like a, a, a direct littering. It's just the, the cause and effect of, of, floating trash, you know, just a, a large congregation of people in, in a small area. Um, some of it is intentional. Some of it is, uh, you know, uh, is malicious. Uh, and, and yeah, it, as hunters, anglers, uh, outdoors folks and everything else, uh, you know, we have a lot, John and I have some great friends that, that 
you know, they promote picking up where you go and, and cleaning up garbage and everything else. And some of the volumes of trash that, that get picked up by uh, the folks that use those spaces is uh, it's astronomical how much garbage is actually out there. Uh, you know, if, if, you know, an individual were to take one hour a week and just go out, let's say 15 minutes a day, you know, just even on a walk and pick up, it would probably pick up close to four to six tons of garbage a year, it, just as a rough estimate, you know, you're looking at six to 8,000 pounds of garbage and then, and then just getting it to the receptacle to where, you know, other, other equipment didn't have to be used. This isn't, this isn't a push for like, you know, you know, uh, electric vehicles and all this stuff. What it is, is it's, it, it's the common sense part of, of being a good steward of the outdoors, which is, which is what you're, you know, talking about is like going to those spaces the people that use those spaces sometimes are the least respectful, but more times than not, they appreciate having that space in, in, in good workable conditions. So that's, there's, there's a lot to be said about that. And I, what's fun, you know, uh, through my, through the podcast, I've learned that there are organizations out there that combine going out and having like some crazy fun and then cleaning up at the same time so the gambler 500 yeah morgan you probably know what that Uh is right yeah great great organization they get these shitty cars and they drive them around the woods but they clean up tons of garbage a year uh there's another organization out uh, in the east called lands and waters they this guy bought two barges and he spends seven or eight months out of the year floating these uh, barges up and down the river cleaning up it's just amazing to me how much garbage gets you know to to think of a oh it's it's unreal but to to think of yourself think of a conservationist as someone that ties themselves to trees and they're trying to save every little forest (laughs) that's not the case you know conservation much more complex than that yeah well that's that's what we call a eco-terrorist just just for clarification (laughs) i thought so i thought that's not yeah so there's there's a place for each thing out there right you know and under that's the other thing that a lot of people don't give all of us outdoors folks credit for you know anglers and hunters and hikers and everything else we we see the change we see the change constantly whether whether we're summoning a mountain and we've watched a glacier shrink for the last 15 years or um we're out hiking and we notice that a creek diversion or or, you know a creek is flowing a different direction or not at all that used to be there um to to more bugs than usual less bugs than usual to more you know of this animal than usual or less or more this fish and less of this we're the ones that are always seeing that stuff. It's not somebody sitting in a, you know, a, a condo in, in some, you know, high rise in a city that has a, a juristocratist and in, in environmental law that knows about it because they're not going out there and seeing it. They just, they're, they're just making up a bunch of rules on the fly without having any kind of prior knowledge. And they'll say, well, we're tapping the experts. Well, I don't see the experts out in the field where I'm at either. I don't, I don't get to see those biologists. They're looking at a lot of data uh, on, on some, on some major, uh, river systems fishing or in some major, um, game management units for the hunting. Um, it, but they're not able to be everywhere at every time. So those biologists rely on us to say, Hey, look, there's, there's something I haven't seen before. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of that thing, you know, those, uh, DNR officials that they're relying on that. So that's, you know, us being out there, that's a, that's a big deal and, and making it accessible for folks. That's a big deal too. So that's 
and that's what I appreciate about what you guys are doing with the, you know, the, the working man fishing stuff. You're, you're explaining to people in very clear terms that going out and fishing doesn't have to be hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's an every person thing that should not be exclusive to any group. funny in the moments of silence i can hear the birds in the background (laughs) (laughs) yeah well we're just making sure that it's not uh cutting off yeah we we keep getting that lag and everything else so uh well shoot guys we're we're pushing almost a couple hours here i i don't know uh john you got some more uh questions for zach here i think we've had a really good conversation but no i mean honestly man uh, I, I think I've asked everything I wanted to ask, except, you know, like th- those baits. Did, is there anything you change on them? <laughs> Maybe I'll ask you that, I guess, after we're done here. But that's that's really it, man. Like, just thank you for sharing. And it's, it's refreshing. It's incredibly refreshing just to know that there's more folks out there like you that share very like-minded mindsets, very similar ideals. And it's just great to know that we're kind of scattered all around the U.S. and many other places that, you know, maybe someday we'll be able to make that some changes. You know, we'll, we'll keep picking up our trash and we'll, we'll keep promoting, you know, safe, safe handling, but just safe handling of our environment so we can pass it on to our next generations because we're not going to have this forever you know someday i'm going to get old and i'm going to die off or hell i might die off tomorrow but i want to be able to pass down that that bright future for our environment and i it's just that thank you for coming on and just sharing all that with us that that's it's really great man and thank you no, I appreciate that. I, I, there are more people out there than I think we realize that would love the chance to go hunting or fishing. And if they got to do it one time, they would be lifelong. Um, take my state of Colorado, for example. Uh, they have contests every year for the CPW. Take a friend fishing, take a friend hunting. So you can take someone who's never been hunting or fishing before, take them out, document the experience, send them in the CPW and they do prizes, giveaways, shout outs. You know, they, uh, they show you in their catalogs and their publications, those little incentives, they're great and everything. But I think as outdoors people, we need to like, exactly like you said, John, one of these days, we're not going to be here. And we need to make sure that the generation after us understands what kind of joy can be had by going out and trying to catch a carp with a mop fly or, Mm -hmm chase fox squirrels through the woods it's it's the it's such pure fun and even if you don't catch anything or even if you don't shoot anything you know some of my favorite times are just going out there and sitting in the middle of nowhere and you get to see and experience so many things you know my last archery hunt last year uh i was stalking this group of deers two does and their their offspring and the offspring were just that they were young naive animals that had no idea i was there but the mom as soon as i made a wrong move she knew exactly where i was 
and I got to see you know, this display of nature play out in front of me where the mom, you know, taught her offspring a lesson like, hey, if you don't look around, something is going to kill you. She very easily got up, made some kind of noise, and the whole brood went off into nowhere. I never saw them again. And I thought, wow, that's an experience that even though I didn't get to shoot an animal, I'll never forget that because it was just this yeah. majestic thing that I got to witness. And even if you don't want to hunt, going out hiking, going out taking pictures, whatever, you're outside seeing that stuff. And one of these days you might get curious, well, what would it be like to harvest my own animal and process it and have that meat for a year? What would that be like? Uh, it's not a long leap to think that you can get a lot of people involved in the outdoors that normally wouldn't. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's the thing I appreciate. I really appreciate that about your podcast. That's what I, I appreciate the most is that there's a, a, a open-mindedness. It, it doesn't, you know, listenership doesn't have to revolve around, you know, taking, taking an animal's life. You know, it, it, you can, you can be as, as basic and simple as uh, just going out and, and identifying, you know, songbirds by being out on a hike in a, in like a refuge, or you can, um, you know, be out hiking for, you know, your own uh, mental health and, and holistic wellness and well-being. That's, that's one of the coolest things about your, your podcast and, and what you're doing. Um, you know, kind of closing out here, getting ready to wrap up. The, the, the biggest question I have for you, Zach, uh, is just because, you know, we're all podcasters, everything else, and, and we're always thinking about, like, what's next? What, what's your future plans for 12 Hike? I mean, what, what, where do you want that to go? That's, that's what I kind of want to know. Uh, and I know it's not all fishing related, but where do you want 12 Hike to, to go here over the course of the next year? So with 12 Hike, there are three of us that are involved in it. I'm sorry. There's a little bit of like a guy or a llama. Is that picking up on your end? Nope, not at all. Okay, good. So there's three of us in 12 Hike. Two of them are here in Southern Ohio. I'm in Colorado. What I would like to see is like this cross-country covering of the outdoors because the activities on the east coast and the west coast and the middle part of the state are vastly different. And I want I want to educate people about the opportunities that are around them that they never thought of. So what we're hoping to do here soon, uh, we want to start getting our YouTube productions up, you know, documenting fishing trips, tutorials, reviews, how-tos. Uh, you know, one of the guys in 12 Hike, he's really big into like herbal medicine. So he's going to start doing videos about how to go out and find native plants, what their uses are. Um, then... Other than that, when I first started, I really didn't have a plan. I'm like the Joker. I'm like a, I'm like a dog when you catch a car tire. I really don't know what I'd do if I had it. And I want to say it's been detrimental, but at the same time, it's very because I can just do whatever I want. And that's what I, and that's what I want to do. Whatever, wherever this takes me, that that's just what I'm going to do. I'm not going to fight it. Sure. But yeah, getting YouTube up. Uh, working on the education, 
and and the conservation stuff. That's that's kind of where I'm, my happy place is right now. Yeah, that's that's super cool because uh, I think it's going to complement your your podcast really well. I you know we we noticed that uh, we get we get kind of a mixed bag between um, just direct listeners and uh, YouTube, uh, and and we haven't been able to get a lot of the other stuff you know, really going, uh, as far as like our how-to videos and things like that, but we've been working pretty ardently on that, you know, so we're, we're coming around, uh, just only being out for a month and a half has been, uh, uh, it's definitely been like a riding a rocket ship a little bit because we've, we've, uh, went from, you know, just conceptual, you know, stuff up to there, but you know, you've, you've been doing this for quite a while. So you've been able to really, you know, do your, you know, get your, your audience base built and, and, you know, and with a continuation, but, um, I'm excited. I've been doing it for a year. I still don't have a hell of an idea what I'm doing. Yeah. We, we fly by the seat of our pants all the time. So, you know, it's just, it, you know, it's fun, but, but we like having guests like yourself because, uh, you're, you're well-rounded in the outdoors. It, it doesn't necessarily all have to be centric on that fishing. It, although that's what we focus on. Um, you know, but for the, the, the folks out there in our angling community that, that are looking for, you know, maybe, you know, the, the bite dies off in the fall, you want to talk about Turkey, you want to talk about deer, you want to talk about elk or, you know, some of the, you know, uh, small game hunting, you know, uh, rabbit squirrel, you know, Zach's got a wonderful podcast. Um, where can people get a hold of you, Zach? So we we're spread across all the platforms, uh, on Instagram, it's 1200 challenge uh, facebook it's just 12 hike same thing with youtube just 12 hike and you can find our podcast pretty much everywhere uh, apple spotify iHeart. that's just the 12 hike podcast okay so if uh our listeners out there you guys want to uh check out zach's stuff obviously you can find him through our instagram uh, you can also find them through our YouTube channel, uh, so, uh, and make sure when, when you do find him, uh, make sure that you subscribe and, uh, sign up for notifications on, on his YouTube, uh, just, just as much as you would for us, because we, we, uh, know that, uh, you'll really enjoy Zach's podcast. Uh, check out all of the episodes though. Don't relegate yourself just to the fishing, make sure that you go through and, you know, uh, he had a great episode on Serpent Mound, which is from his neck of the woods there in Southern Ohio, uh, where he's originally from. Uh, some some real fantastic episodes. I I thoroughly enjoy listening to these uh, podcasts, and so you can't go wrong with that. But if you want to learn about, um, you know, carp angling or what it's like to fish up there in the in the good old Rocky Mountains, all that kind of stuff, there's all those um, things. But Zach, uh, I. I just want to say thank you for taking the time on your vacation to come on, spend, spend a couple hours, John, with us and telling us all about the, uh, the vacation time and everything else. And, you know, I, I think we could probably go on for a long time, but, uh, this, this was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Hey, no problem guys. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be bugging Brian, my neighbor again this winter. So I'm sure we'll have more products or vehicles. I'm going to break all the shit. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, see how, we'll see how it goes. Uh, he's also going to be elk hunting, so we're going to we're going to document his elk hunt. We're hey, I've got a lot of fun things, concept you know, concepts in my head that I want to work out. But 
great guests coming up. Uh, we've got a, a strictly fishing-related podcast coming up here real soon with Extreme Philly Fishing. Okay. Uh, we actually already recorded it, but I'm going to release it here in a couple weeks. So, uh, you know, while I appreciate you guys doing the all-fishing stuff, I know some of your guests might not get what I'm doing, but hopefully they find something that they never thought about before, and it kind of broadens their interest a little bit. Absolutely. So, fellas, I, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for <laughs> listening to my podcast and even, you know, uh, maybe building me up a little bit better in what I might actually be. But I, I really appreciate it. Oh no, you're you're too you're too humble. You you have a really great podcast, and that that's honest. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, everybody, that's gonna do it for this episode. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Uh, you can find us on Instagram under Working Class Fishing. You can also find us on YouTube under Working Class Fishing. Or if you want to get in touch with us, you have a, a guest suggestion or you have a uh, uh, you know comment or, or anything to add, uh, please feel free to contact us on our Gmail uh, at workingclassfish at gmail.com. Until next time, make sure you get out there and do some fishing. Thanks again. See ya.